Hello, hello. Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer. My name is Matt Howell. I am one of the pastors here. I especially want to welcome you. If you are joining us from a place of faith, or if you are joining us from a place of unbelief, or if you are this uh, morning coming from a place of joy or a place of sorrow or somewhere in between, really wherever you find yourself this morning, we're just so glad that you've chosen to hang out with us here at Redeemer online. Well, um, what is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. We continue to be a church, believe it or not, in light of the pandemic. And what a church is, what we are, what we're trying to be is a community of people trying to learn how to love, how to love God and how to love our neighbor. And so the way that we go about doing that is that we get together on Sundays and so that we could worship, worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in his great love for us. And then outside of Sundays, we get together throughout the week, individually and together in community groups and small groups so that we might remind one another of his love for us. And as we rest in his love, as we remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that together we might reflect his great love for us. Because we really do. We dream of seeing our city flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So... That's who we are as a church. We're a community of people trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And in order to help us do that this fall, what we're doing is we're looking at this sermon that Jesus preached in the Gospel of Matthew, which is now called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is really Jesus' description of what happens when a community of people submit to him as their king. And so to set up the passage that was just read for you, um, I I want you to think about Harry Potter this morning. I want you to consider Harry Potter. And, you know, I've started reading these books to our son Reed for the first time. So we're in the middle of book one. He's, He's getting to, you know, experience it all for the first time. He just found out that Harry goes into Gryffindor House, which, you know, spoiler alert, sorry if you didn't know that, but um, so we're very excited to be reading this. And if you remember back in book one, even from the very beginning, Harry is, you know, he's living under the stairs at the Dursley's house. He's miserable, life is horrible, and then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, all these letters start to pour in that are informing him that he's a wizard and that he's, he's being summoned to attend Hogwarts for this particular school year. And he's receiving this and, and you know, he, he's, his reaction is like, I, I didn't even know a wizard was, was a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. And, you know, as the story kind of develops, he begins to discover what is true about him, that he is this great wizard. He's come from this great wizarding family. In, in some ways, without even doing anything, he's, he's already defeated he who must not be named. And, and, and all of this starts to become, uh, uh, he becomes aware of this, but it's, it's, it is true about him. This is his identity. He can't change who his parents were. He can't change who he is. And yet, what is also true is that he also has to go to school. I mean, he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to summon a Patronus yet. He doesn't know what a hippogriff is. He doesn't know how to make potions he has to go learn all this stuff. He has to learn a new way of living that is in sync with his identity. He has to learn what it's like to be in sync with this identity of who he really is. Now, I think Jesus is doing the same thing in this passage that was just read to you. 
At the beginning of this passage, he tells you, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what is true of you. He says this in verse 13 and 14, you are salt and light. He didn't say you might be salt if, if you do some stuff. Or you might be, you could be light if you try hard enough. He says, no, this is your unmistakable, undeniable identity as a follower of Jesus. You are salt and light. And he begins to teach us what it looks like to live in sync with that identity. Now, I know uh, many people that get frustrated with the church or get burnt out by Christianity get so, get so upset with Christians because we do a horrible job of living in sync with who God says we are. We're, we're horrible at this. And yet Jesus still says, okay, I wanna show you what it looks like to live consistently in sync with your identity of salt and light. So I wanna show you three things from this passage of what it looks like to be salt and light in the world. First thing, to be salt and light as a follower of Jesus means that you are in the world. That's the first thing of three, one of three. To be salt and light means that you are in the world. Well, think about this, uh, this metaphor as salt. Salt was used back then in the same way that it's used now. It's used to season food. And some of y'all are big salt people. Y'all throw salt on everything. You throw salt on popcorn and tortilla chips and french fries and ice cream and everything else. And the basic point is that salt does nothing for the food unless it's in the food. It can be in a salt shaker two inches away from your quesadilla, but it's not gonna season the quesadilla unless it's in it. Salt has to get on the steak. It has to be poured over the French fries. This is Jesus' basic point with this kind of light metaphor as well. His whole point with the light thing is that it's worthless if you hide it. Look at verse 15. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a bucket. The whole reason you light a lamp, the whole reason you turn on a flashlight is so that it goes into the darkness. It invades the darkness. So here's what this means. Christians are called into the world. And this has implications for our church here at Redeemer. We, we believe that we are called into Midtown, into this specific part of the city. Now, what is so sad to me is that some of you grew up in religious contexts where you were literally taught the exact opposite. That to be a Christian means that you are called out of this world that you avoid certain people, you separate yourself, you, 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 you withdraw from those people. I mean, I, I have known, I've known people in my life that all of their friends are Christian. Uh, they only listen to Christian music. They only listen to Christian podcasts. They only read Christian books. They only go to Christian coffee shops. They, they only wear Christian clothes. And it's, it's, they just live in this Christian kind of echo chamber. And, and, and I get it. It's, I understand why. It's, it's comfortable. It's safe. It's convenient. The problem is it just happens to make zero impact on the world. So we have to ask ourselves some hard questions if, if we identify ourselves as Christians. Do we live in a little echo chamber? Do, have we isolated ourselves from the rest of the world? Do, do you have friends that aren't Christian? I mean like friends, not coworkers, not people that you just kind of interact with every now and then, but like people in your life that you're friends with. 
That's what Jesus means about going into the world. You know, Brene Brown, who's this famous, uh, you know, she has these famous TED Talks and she's this famous author and she's done these famous specials on Netflix. And she, she has, um, I don't know where this was from, but, but th- there was one talk that she did and somebody took like a two minute splice of that little talk and then they made their own video from it and they animated it. It's really fascinating. You can look it up. But this little two minute video is, is her describing the difference between empathy and sympathy. And she says, if you have a friend that's really hurting and they're really overwhelmed with life, it's kind of like they're down in a hole. They're at the bottom of this hole in the ground. And she says, empathy looks like crawling down and getting into the hole with them and sitting with them and saying, hey, I'm with you. You're not alone. I love you. And sympathy, she says, means you kind of stay at the, at the top and you kind of look down at your friend in the hole and you kind of lob down care packages to them in the hopes to kind of cheer them up. And her point is, is that if you really want to help somebody, you have to get close. You know, you know, lobbing care packages at people from a distance or, or throwing money at somebody from a distance, praying for somebody from a distance, those are all extremely important, extremely necessary but the real, the, the bigger impact comes when you get close, when you get into somebody's life, you get, you, you get in. So how can we get into Memphis? How can we get into Midtown as a church? Well, I, I think in, in, in lots of ways, but some thoughts are that I think this means that we change the way that we spend our time. We change the way that we spend our uh, resources. We, 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 we start making some different decisions. You may not even live in Midtown, but you could join a gym here. Uh, you, could, you could say, I'm going to sign my kids up for sports leagues here when that becomes a thing again. Uh, you could say, I'm going to shop in Midtown grocery stores. You're intentionally making decisions to get in because when you get in, you start to kind of see familiar faces and you start to, you start to form relationships with people in these particular circles in Midtown. You meet somebody in your spin class or you meet somebody in your yoga class and you just kind of start to form a relationship. Or you see, some, you, know, you see the same barista over and over and over and you start to have a shot at forming a relationship with them. Here's the point, is that as salt and light, it means that we're always asking ourselves the question, how can I meet new people? How can I understand these particular people here? How, how can I get around people that are different from me? That's the first implication of all this. To be salt and light means that we move into the world. But secondly... Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, to, be salt and lean, to be salt and light means that you are not of the world. You're not of the world. Now, that's an awkward phrase. What does it mean to be not of something? Well, in Jesus' day, salt was taken out of the Dead Sea, or it was, it was um, dug out of marsh areas. And, and when they did that, it was, salt was often mingled with other vegetation, kind of other things from the earth. And so the, the salt itself was, was contaminated. It looked like salt. It was white powder like salt, but it didn't taste like salt. It didn't act like, it didn't, uh, yeah, it didn't function like salt. And so... It was just kind of worthless and it was thrown out. It was basically kind of road dust and people would just kind of walk on it. And this is what Jesus is referring to in verse 13. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Here's what he's saying. He is saying, if Christians assimilate into the world, 
we lose our saltiness. If Christians just embrace and embody the same values that the rest of the world embodies, then we're no longer functioning like salt. We're just blending into the culture. We made no impact on the culture. And here's what this means to be not of the world. It means that our lives are distinct. Our, our lives are, are, are different. You know, in the first point, Jesus was saying, don't separate. And in this point, Jesus is saying, don't assimilate. But here's what's hard, because if I'm honest, I kind of want to blend in with the rest of the world. I mean, I, I don't want, I, I want people to like me. I want to fit in. I don't want to stand out as like the Christian weirdo. And so often I, um, I, I like to think of myself as like a, I, or at least I want to be kind of like a secret agent Christian, you know, kind of going undercover for Jesus without anybody knowing about it. And I say this to my shame because, you know, when, 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 when you become a Christian, Jesus is saying that that sets you at odds with the values of the world. You, you are fundamentally distinct. In, in certain ways, you will never fit in. I will never fit in. And what does that mean though? Does he mean, well, the rest of the world is really liberal, so here as, a, as the church, we're gonna be really conservative. Or, you know, the rest of the world drinks alcohol, so the, you know, the Christians were not gonna drink alcohol. Is that what he means? I, I don't think so. I think it actually goes way deeper than that. Think about this. You know, the values of the world are power and comfort and success and recognition. You know, the world is obsessed with celebrity and beauty and pleasure and, and achievement. And all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying that his followers operate from a very different set of values. That we, we value weakness and humility and obscurity and sacrifice and service and, and love. And so it is not so much that we are distinct in what we do, although that might also be true, but he's more saying we, we are distinct in how we do the things that we do. So for example, are you salt and light in the way that you do social media? You know, as followers of Jesus, that doesn't mean that we boycott social media, but we engage in it differently. Are you engaging with people online with humility and with weakness and with love? Uh, or are you embodying the values of the world, power, dominance, being right? Or think about this, are you salt and light in the way that you fight with your spouse? Like in the middle of the fight, does your spouse see Jesus? Do they see light coming from you? Or, I mean, if you've had any disagreements with anybody recently, in the midst of that disagreement, did they see light? Did they, did, did they, did they see Jesus in the middle of it? That's what it means to not be of the world. It means that our life flows from a completely different operating system, a completely different set of values. And the values of the kingdom change the way that we think about everything. It changes the way that we think about work. It changes the way that we think about technology, the way that we think about sex, the way that we relate to our money, everything. To be salt and light means that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And then here's the last thing. To be salt and light also means that we are for the world. We're for the world. We're cheering for the world. We're, we're laboring for the benefit and the, the goodness of the world. 
Think about this. Salt was unbelievably valuable in Jesus' day. I didn't realize this, but I, I read this in, in preparation for this sermon that Roman soldiers in Jesus' context were often paid their wages in salt. This is where we get this expression, he's worth his salt, or she is worth her salt. Which, by the way, just kind of occurred to me, I think that we should start paying Ben in salt packages now. I think he would love that. He's not here to defend himself, but that's what I think we should do. But here's the point, is that salt was so valuable in the ancient world because it was really the only thing that that you could use to preserve food with. There's no refrigeration back then, obviously, and so they would put salt on things to preserve their, their, their meat. Because if you had a you know, raw you know, cut of steak and you put it on the table, it's not going to take long for that bright red to start to turn to a icky brown and then start to turn to a pale green. And so they would put salt on it to combat and slow down the decay that was inevitable. And Jesus is saying Christians are to be those kinds of people that we get into the world to work towards slowing down the moral and the social and the cultural decay that sin is just doing. I mean, think about it like this. Think about how salt and light function. Salt and light are inherently selfless. When you put salt on something, no, nobody eats food and talks about how great the salt is. They talk about the actual food. The salt is there to enhance the flavor of the food. Nobody walks into a room and talks about how awesome the lights are. The light is there to to, to illuminate and enhance the beauty of the space. Lights are turned on so that you can see something else. Salt is used so that you can taste something else. Jesus is saying Christians exist for the sake of the world, for the good of the world. That's why we like to say at Redeemer a lot, we we don't want to be a church just for ourselves. We are church not for ourselves. We don't want to seek our own good, but we want to seek the good of the people in Midtown. We want to seek the good of the institutions and the culture of Midtown. Uh, 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 To be a church that works through every nook and cranny in this particular section of the city so that we draw out what is good and beautiful here and we want to counteract what sin has begun to tragically decay. How do we do that? Well, look at verse 16. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Now, what are those? What are good works? Good works are our acts of self-sacrificial love. Small, tangible expressions of kindness or of generosity or of forgiveness or of hospitality, uh, of mercy. Why do we do these things? Keep looking so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. He is calling us to live such lives of of sacrificial generosity that when people see it, they thank God that we are in the neighborhood. There's this quote that I want to read to you. It's it's in the front of your bulletin. It's by Madeline Leingle. And she once said, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Now that's beautiful. 
How do we do that? Because that feels like a lot of pressure. If someone is going to be drawn to God on the basis of how well I live my life, then they're out of luck. Because <laughs> my life is not that great. Thankfully, we are just dim reflections of a greater love. All of our individual stories are just echoes of this, this greater story of, of ultimate sacrificial love. Consider Jesus, who is the true salt of the earth, the true light of the world. Here is Jesus, and Jesus came in. The very fact that Jesus is preaching the sermon shows you that Jesus, he, he came, the son of God was in heaven, but he didn't remain separate. He left the light of heaven to enter into our darkness, a, a dark world filled with shame and sin and, 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 uh, and destruction and sickness, but he was not of this world. He was the only one that had no darkness to him, no sin in him. He, he lived a life of perfect love, uh, uh, the, the true salt of the earth, utterly distinct in his perfect love and his perfect mercy. And yet on the cross, he was thrown out like contaminated salt and just trampled. On the cross, the light of his life was snuffed out. And why did he do it? For the world. He did it for you and for me. He was so committed to our well-being that he was willing to give his very life up so that we might be reconciled to God. He allowed himself to experience utter decay, utter deterioration on the cross so that we might be able to participate in his light and his life. Now, I'll end here. I'll end with this. Very randomly, a couple of weeks ago, uh, our family decided to watch Elf, which is, you know, the greatest Christmas movie ever made. And, and the, the, the basic premise of the movie is, is that you, you have this elf, Buddy the Elf, who leaves the, the North Pole and he comes in. He comes down into New York City. And he obviously operates with a very different set of values. I mean, he's pouring syrup on his spaghetti. I mean, he's smiling on the, all the time because, you know, smiling is his favorite. And he just, you know, he, he has this father that even though his father denies him and rejects him and, uh, you know, disdains him, Buddy just relentlessly loves his father. And he's kind of annoying at first. I mean, he kind of barges in and kind of makes a mess of anything, but he is unrelenting in his love for his father. And what happens? By the end of the movie, his father is transformed. I mean, he, he's liberated from his workaholism. He recommits himself to his family. He, he, you know, he has this, this surge of joy. I mean, he's singing Christmas carols at the end of the movie, and he's even used to save Christmas. And we're watching this Christmas movie in the middle of August and I can't help but think of how in, in the same way Jesus is this invader that comes from the outside in and unrelentingly loves us. And if we are willing to open ourselves up to receive that love by faith, it will transform us. And we will start to become people that move into the world, into Midtown. And at the same time, we will look less like the world, and we will be, begin thinking creatively and strategically, how can we give ourselves for the sake of the world, just like King Jesus? Well, may that be true more and more of me, and may it be true more and more of you as well.
Let me pray. Father, would you be so kind as to give us a taste of the true salt of the earth and to, be, and to have our eyes opened by the true light of the world that we might be overwhelmed with your great love for us. And in return, would that make us the kind of people that reflect your great love to the world around us? We need you to do this for us and in us and even despite us. <laughs> we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.